Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I'm Don Povia, joined Super Bowl week here, a uh, couple days away with my partner here, Kyle Bunch. Kyle, welcome. Who do you got going on this Sunday? What are you, what are you feeling? Well, sadly, now we're watching to see how far the uh, potential COVID hit on on the Chiefs might go. I'm hoping that that's still that sticks to like third stringers and keeps them healthy. So if that's the case, I definitely uh, rooting for and and picking the Chiefs. But uh, really, probably will kick myself forever betting against Brady. So that's that's kind of the, the yeah. hedge. I feel I, that last sort of Eagles Super Bowl. I got, I got Jason Kelsey up here today. Is the anniversary. Um, you know, I, I remember that last, we're down by eight, and I'm like, he's just going to throw a Hail Mary. They're going to catch it in the end zone. They're going to get the two, and then it's, like, over from there. Yeah, never never bet against Kelsey even. I mean, I'm sorry, against Brady. Uh, don't bet against Kelsey either, but never bet against uh, Brady. Yeah, with the COVID thing, I'm laughing. You see, see the offensive lineman uh, is the guy that seems to be thrown under the bus, and, and, and Mahomes was the next guy up in the barber's chair. I'm like... Not to be a conspiracy theorist, but I feel like they're throwing that red herring out there for us to uh, take us off take us off the trail of Mahomes uh, being exposed. It was a little bit like that Nick Saban oh, positive. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was totally a false positive. He's totally fine for the game on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I'm curious about how that would all go down, but hopefully everybody's okay and, and has a remotely or close to full squad out there on Sunday. Agreed. Agreed. We want a good game. And speaking of football, we are joined by longtime football writer. Uh, he is now the host or should say the co-host of the Brawl 22 and the director of ops for the Brawl Network, uh, Michael Shoddy. We knew him back in the day when he was with a little site you might have heard of called Bleacher Report when we first became acquainted, but uh, has really come full circle. So, Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, glad to be here. And I will just plug, I did a article at PickWatch or NFLPickWatch.com, and I looked at five different ways Super Bowls could go. I picked Chiefs in most of those, but I think I'm going Buccaneers this Saturday for the exact reason you mentioned. You just betting against Brady is is very difficult these days. Well, you've had a, a busy couple of weeks. I saw you a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Fort Worth down in Texas for the College Gridiron Showcase with the Brawl Network was a sponsor of. I've been a part of that for about six years. Uh, different take this year, given, uh, again, the pandemic, uh, the the uh, East West Shrine game being canceled, the NFLPA game going virtual. Uh, so a lot more action going on down there, a lot more precautions that were taken. And then you left right from there and went out to Birmingham for the senior bowl. Uh, how's that experience been? It was great. Uh, so I'm a bit of a professional masochist in that I just decide for myself that I can do things and I don't always have the forethought about how terrible these things are going to be. Uh, the first time was back when I was living in Minnesota, really just covering football for the first time. I was actually coaching at the time and got started with this little company called Bleach Report. And I was like, I'm going to do the combine and I'm going to drive from Minnesota to Indianapolis. And that drive through Iowa is like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and I'm going to stay in a hostel because I'm all on my own and I'm, I'm not, no one else is paying. I'm going to stay in a hostel and I'm going to pack a cooler. And I got down there. And I was like, nope, I am staying in a La Quinta. I'm going to get murdered. Uh, so I'm a bit of a professional masochist. So after driving 16 hours straight from Florida to Dallas, uh, we did CGS, which was just a great time. Kudos to your team there. And then me and our two interns that we got through the Scouting Academy, props to Dan Hatman, uh, we stayed a couple days in New Orleans and then drove to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, which was just an absolute phenomenal time. And kudos again to 
uh, Jim Nagy for putting on a great event there as well. So in a really weird year with COVID, there is very limited opportunities, CGS being one, Mobile, and then a couple of these minor bowl games like the Hula Bowl, Tropical Bowl, to really see these players firsthand. And I, I think we did them justice. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. It has been crazy. And a guy from Jersey, when I came back, everyone was asking, like, how did it feel to be down south, right? And <laughs> opened up, et cetera. Uh, and I said, it's nice to be an adult and be able to go out and, and have a meal and have a drink and uh, and not have to worry too much. But um, how, how did you feel these places adapted or at least cognizant of what was going on to try to maintain? We, we joked about the Chiefs, um, you know, maintain everyone's health and and really, really CYA in a lot of cases, too. Did you find anything uh, a little extra being done? Oh, yeah. I, I think the advanced COVID protocols that CGS put in place were great. You know, everyone was getting tested and, and temp checked as they were you know, entering the building. Um, at no point did I feel unsafe there. Uh, do I feel like things probably could have been locked down more? Yeah. From a guy who's from Michigan and knows exactly what you're going through in Jersey. Um, I know exactly what could be done, um, but I do feel like proper safety precautions were taken. Um, and I was actually surprised at the Senior Bowl. I'm used to an NFL that sort of talks a big game and then when things actually have to happen sort of loosens up a little bit, um, especially, you know, coaches and, and guys who can, you know, shrug a lot of these things off, like, like the chief. So it's time to get our hair cut. We're all getting them homes done. And uh, we have these rules in place, but we're going to do what we need to do anyway. Um, but no, it wasn't that like that. And I think the senior bowl was pretty locked down from that perspective. I will say, and I'm not going to call the team out. Um, they, they did bubble off like team personnel on one side and media slash like agents on another side uh, to keep, that bubble because these teams were going to have very close proximity with the players and, and some, some on the media, the people who were covering the players, guys like field Yates and Daniel Jeremiah, Lewis Riddick, those guys who were going to be by the players were on the, you know, NFL side. And so we didn't get to see them all week. Cause you know, guys that I know that were on that side because of this bubble. However, I will say there was one team that I consistently saw their scouts like on the line, face to face, talking with people, media and agents. And I was like, come on, guys, like <laughs> there is something in place, at least like shout at each other from six feet away with a mask on. But it was like they were having coffee and tea with with their buddies and completely blowing up the bubble. So I will say that happened. But other than that, I felt it was a pretty safe experience. Were you were you down there uh, or, you know, last year compared to this year? Because obviously last year it was pre, but but as the draft, a lot of the draft prep went on, COVID started to become a thing leading all the way to still remember Tua's living room was amazing in the, uh, the whip around in the draft. But, um, you know, how do you how do you see your perceived differences as, as the way or how this may impact things? Over yeah, that. So I wasn't there last year. And I think we'll probably get into this that I took a big old break from sports. And this was sort of my coming out party uh, back in the saddle, as it were. The last time I was at the senior bowl was probably four or five years ago. I think it was actually the last, it was either the first year of Jim Nagy or the last year of Phil Savage running the event. And I'll say there was a night and day difference from then to now, just in the professionalism of the event. It's definitely feeling like a much more orchestrated. Um, less college all-star game, more pre-NFL showcase event, which I think is what the NFL has always wanted. Phil Savage did a great job, but Nagy's really taken it to the next level. Um, and some of that's just Nagy is a more talented uh, promoter, I, I guess I would say. He, he's a recruiter, whereas Phil Savage was, was more of a businessman scout uh, in the event. Um, but even just from the perspective of 
it's been very easy over the years to get credentials to the senior bowl. And I think it was, you know, equally as easy this year, but going from seeing just packed crowds at lad people stadium, really like not even standing room only like, uh, don't move standing room only. Like you are packed in like sardines at Lad Peebles to now they have a new stadium uh, at the University of South Alabama. Things are much more open up and you had limited people. A lot of people were doing the event virtually. And so I'm excited to see it. I think this was alluded to on like the Senior Bowl broadcast and it was alluded to a lot while we were there. Like this will become a major event. When COVID is over now, if they're in the new stadium, the city of Mobile is 100% behind it. The NFL is 100% behind it. This will become a major event, I think, on par with, you know, the combine on par with, you know, maybe even the draft itself, because there's just going to be a lot of people who want to see these guys up close. And the more they open up post COVID, I think there's going to be a lot of access to these players as well. Like flipping over to that NFL side, it is Super Bowl week, and I'm sure you've done quite a few Super Bowl radio rows and uh, media centers. Um, you know what is what is the difference that you're feeling now? I've, I've I just did a remote tour, uh, a remote interviews for for three days straight, um, which everything was phone and Zoom. Uh, and and actually, when I was being pitched or saying, "Hey, you got any guys that you want to bring in from some media people?" Uh, it was all, hey, we're doing everything remote. I mean, is anybody down there? What is going on uh, down in Tampa uh, in regards to the media and, and comparatively, like how you've dealt with it this year as compared to pe- previous years? Yeah, not not much. I mean, the credentialing for the Super Bowls, you know, next to nothing. Even the people that are in Tampa right now are in Tampa to do remote spots and to sort of do their studio show from Tampa versus really getting to interact with the players. I mean, I don't even think the Chiefs are down in Tampa yet. So they, they're coming in like two days before the game. So there's nothing going on on the ground. And that's where, you know, even from a coaching and game planning perspective, this has been a weird Super Bowl because not only do you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a home team, uh, you have the Chiefs as a true away team. They're not coming into, and I think that actually benefits the Chiefs because it makes things like a normal schedule. You're at home. You're apparently getting your hair cut for some god-awful reason. Um, and you are getting ready for the Super Bowl, getting ready for a normal game. Um, it's basically the same thing. So they're not sequestered, you know, on the road, eating hotel food for two weeks. And I think that's actually going to help the Chiefs. That's actually going to help the road team in this one. But from a media perspective, it's it's not even like a normal game. It is completely weird. It's this, you know, virtual radio row thing, which has its positives and negatives. I think we're getting better content out of radio row this year for what it's worth. Like I'm getting, I'm seeing a lot of the virtual stuff and really enjoying it because it's substantive versus the hangers on uh, that, you know, happen at a normal radio row is just ridiculous. And so I like the egalitarian nature of it. At a normal radio row, and I've said the same thing about you know other these events where you know the the little guy can get credentialed, but I don't know if I need like the fifteenth channel from a country that doesn't care about American football ninety nine percent of the time that's sending some guy dressed in a barrel uh, to radio row. I don't know if I need that content the week before the Super Bowl. Speak for yourself. That's that's really what I'm tuning in for now. Um, you guys having both been involved with this, I'm curious. You know, do you think? any of this sticks afterwards or uh, the NFL, if any, you know, we've talked a lot about like, there's no going back to normal. If there's one organization that I can see just completely going back to the way they did things before it's the NFL. But do you think any of this remains when we hopefully get back to something that's, you know, people can be out like, you know, hopefully next year, LA and all that. Yeah. I think the NFL does most of what it does simply because it's what they've always done. 
However, with this being sort of a paradigm shattering event, it's going to give a lot of room for interpretation of, you know, why they've always done the things they've always done. And there are a lot of things. In fact, uh, CBS's Amy Trask just did sort of an interview where she talked about all the COVID things that might stick around. I think the big one, and maybe not necessarily a media focus or Super Bowl focused one, but the fact that they didn't really have practices in the offseason and we had a perfectly fine NFL season, the NFLPA has already latched onto that and said, I don't know if we need to have off-season work anymore. Like, let's trust professionals to get their body ready. Um, as many have over the years, you've seen guys like work out on their own and come back just fine. Now you had an entire league work out on their own and come back just fine. And so I think there are going to be these things that the NFL looked and said, okay, we were doing these things because coaches said they needed to do them. Well, coaches are usually a really bad barometer of how things should go. Coaches are a great barometer of doing things the way they've been done for 50, 60 years. And at the end of the day, I don't know if that's needed. So the other big thing is just this virtualness of the interview process. It's actually opened up a lot of, uh, you know, rather than having a one-on-one locker room interview based on someone having a really deep, close personal connection to a reporter. You're getting these Zoom calls where coaches are much more open, players are much more open. You're actually getting more, I mean, first of all, you're getting some funny things like someone forgot they were on mute and, and dissed the coach or, you know, someone forgot to wear, you know, pants or has a funny background. You're getting funny stuff too and, and stuff that we can, you know, maybe professionalize down the road. But you're also getting a lot more openness of access to players. And, and I appreciate that too. When the, when the fifth or sixth reporter who has an actual substantive question, not just talk about your game on Sunday, um, you're getting, I think, better content out of it. And I think that's helping. Yeah. I wonder if, if some of this too, if you think about the younger fans, we're, we're, you know, RGA where, where my day job is, you know, has been doing some work with Verizon and some of their other agencies and having to take what would normally be a massive on the ground operation and find ways to connect with fans in other ways. And, even pull it going so far as to pull some of those type of things into Fortnite and and thinking about younger audiences or bigger audiences where like is this an opportunity a moment where suddenly that many more people can be part of them that the next Super Bowl could be you know hundreds of thousands of people on the ground but millions more who feel that much more tied to it not just on game day but the that whole week of celebration you know hopefully that's part of this I'll take it one step further I and I said the other day on another show I was on that I actually found myself missing the Pro Bowl. It might have been on my show, I think I said it, but I missed the Pro Bowl this year. And it wasn't that I've ever watched the Pro Bowl with any sort of interest before, but just it got taken away. And so it was something that because of COVID, I felt myself missing for just ridiculous reasons. But it did open up this door really for the first time into the esports world that the NFL has really been laggy into getting into. And the NFL is going to have to come to grips at some point with, there is a group of guys, or sorry, fans, guys and girls, my son's age, that do not care about the NFL in the same way that our generation did when we were their age. Um, a lot of the close personal connections to like teams geographically are not there anymore because people are so much more mobile around the country uh, or leaving the country. And you have some, some general interest in the NFL, but not the intense fandom of generations past. And I think esports is probably a way into that, that the NFL has yet to tap into. And if that becomes a part of it, if all of a sudden you're saying, what, Hey, why don't we do this every weekend? Why don't multiple players from multiple teams get together and grab guys like Ninja, who's a Detroit lions fan and have him play an esports game on, you know, live stream on Twitch and 
ESPN2 where, you know, they're playing it the weekend's matchup. And that would be massive audience share, but it also would tap into an interest level for, you know, the, the 18 and under set that just simply isn't there because most of those guys aren't, they're, they're walking through as their parents are watching football games rather than sitting down and tuning into a football game themselves. Or, or they're using that gateway drug of fantasy sports that, uh, that same thing. I, I have a, a lot of younger cousins that, you know, one's a Rams fan, one's a Colts fan. Why not? They both live in South Jersey. It's because one kind of grew up with Kurt Warner and the other one grew up with uh, Peyton Manning. So, um, you know, I feel like there's, a, a and lot they've of learned that being an Eagles fan is just torture. Just yeah. absolute torture. Yeah, yeah, we do. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, flipping around, let's let's talk a little bit about you and, and less about uh, the sport that you cover, Mike. So um, you started with Bleacher, I would say, 09. Does that sound yeah. right? 09, 010. Or 09, yeah, 09, 10, something around there. And, uh, you know, how, how did you... How did you do that? Was that part of that? Uh, hey, everyone could come right on our platform. Uh, you know, the the original, the original model. Uh, was this something that uh, you were pursuing as a hobby or more as a career? Yeah. So my circuitous path through sports journalism is super weird. Uh, I went to school to be a minister. Um, I was going to school at a super tiny college, literally the smallest division in Division Three up in rural Minnesota, uh, one of the smallest schools in that division. Uh, I didn't play college football. Uh, my sophomore year, they were looking for a color commentator for the radio broadcast for the football team. So I hopped on. Uh, I had some surgery after high school, couldn't play college football. So this was sort of my gateway back into it. I had done some high school coaching and actually at one point wanted to be a coach. and so. As I got married, started having kids, I realized the coaching world that had like no money behind it for the first 10 years, I thought, okay, sports media is maybe this other thing. And as I was the color commentator for the football team, they also had a local radio show. And again, this is not hyperbole. I'm not trying to like make myself sound like a a hero here, but I was on the smallest AM radio station in America uh, before us. And I actually got this wrong on a podcast yesterday and I had to get fact-checked by my former host. Before us was German language programming, like polka music, Auf Deutsch, like there was no English. And then after us was like the satellite feed coming in. So it was like old timey comedy radio. Um, so right, right in the middle, we would get preempted by the fishing report. We'd get preempted by softball games. There was one time where we literally had like the head coach of the Minnesota Golden Gophers calling in live and we had to tell him, nope. Can't do it now. We're going to do it a little bit earlier and tape it for next week uh, because of the fishing report. <laughs> so based on that, we got press credentials to cover Minnesota sports full time. And when Bleach Report came around, I had never heard of it. It was a Facebook ad and they were hiring. Uh, CBS was contracting through Bleach Report to hire this rapid reporter program that, that has since come and gone. And I thought, hey, I can do that. And I started, I jumped in, I started covering the Lions. Uh, the Lions was actually a super competitive group. Uh, Ty Schulter, who's now my co-host on the Brawl 22, was in that group. There were a couple others who've gone on to do other things at, at local newspapers and things like that. Um, but when it came to one of the, I remember one of the assignments for this that CBS had laid out was pretend you're interviewing a player. And I was like, or how about I just use my connections and interview a player? So I interviewed Corey Schlesinger, who was one of my favorite players growing up. And it, it was, there were three or four of us on top. And I would say those three or four in the Lions world were like far and away, just, just above and beyond a lot of what else was coming through. No offense to anyone else. 
And so at the end of everything, CBS pulled the plug and said, like, hey, thanks for your 10 weeks of work. But we actually found out the journalism world is crumbling and people who actually work for newspapers are willing to take this 400 bucks a week to, to do this for us. So we're going to do that instead. And I became at that point Bleach Report's first ever paid writer. I was the first guy they cut a check to. Um, not full time, but it was like 50 bucks for thank you for your 10 weeks. Here's 50 bucks. So I did that. Then I was brought on. To Wait, so was this, was this moving forward or was that retro? Retroactively paying. It was retroactive. Like, don't leave. It wasn't like 50 bucks a week going forward. No, it was no, no, 50 no. bucks for the for past the 10, 10 weeks. weeks. Okay. Was, please, please don't leave. Um, so I was doing the radio show at the same time. They actually hired me to run a college internship program at that point. Me and a good friend of mine, Joel Cordes, who, you know, did did bleach report for long after I, even i was gone um, on the nba side of things and so the two of us ran this college internship program where guys who were literally our age and ladies who were literally our age were you know coming in learning how to be sports writers and i think we did a good job with them like for, for all intents and purposes for what it was they came in they got college credit um, they learned a lot from us because we had had access. We had been doing this at a pretty high level. And then I moved on to editing, then moved on to writing. And then, as we said before, found my way out of sports pretty quickly after that. So you were there at that shift for Bleacher Report, where it did go from the masses and and certainly a time when it was pretty maligned as like just a free-for-all into transitioning to something that became very successful and eventually acquired. How was that, you know, as you went on from that moment, what did you see as they, they started to become something more, I mean, dare I say more legitimate than it had been viewed for, for a while before that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, I say a lot and I don't like to give myself too much credit here because I always say the most, the most important thing for Bleach Report to get from where it was to where it is now was not editorial. And it wasn't even tech. It wasn't even the app. It was it was sales guys. They had some of the best sales guys in the business. And I think if more journalism outlets paid attention to sales the way Bleach Report paid attention to sales back then, uh, you'd have a lot less paywalls and a lot more people getting getting ad money. But uh, in part the college internship and part the editorial process, which also Joel and I helped build um, throughout the company, I say it's like we were putting up fences in the Wild West. And the second you take a place like the Wild West and start putting up fences, you go, you get Las Vegas, you get LA, you get San Francisco, you get massive building cities because the potential is there, but you have to put some structure in place. And that's what I've always been good at. And it's because of what guys like Rory Brown, who's now, now at Viacom, uh, guys like Bennett Spector, I think is still a Bleach Report. Uh, a lot of the guys who have since shifted over to Bustle, which is just a lot of old Bleach Report people and, and not just Bustle, but also Inverse and all the other things at Bustle, Bustle Media Group. Um, we started putting up fences. And the second you started putting up fences, we, there was one day where we're like 70% of our writers just got axed, um, moving from the open source model. And it was really that move. Like, okay, now that we've got you in place, we've sort of cut off all the chaff and we're going to start putting these fences up on what to do. Um, also, I'm going to name drop Dan Bernstein, who was like our analytics guy at the time, just great at putting together, this is what you're supposed to write about. Not just get a wild hair, not just reacting to local news, um, but like, this is what you're supposed to write about. And I think Rory Brown was probably the driving force. Again, this guy who's now at Viacom um, had been in charge of Bleach Report for a long time after this time period, he put together this content calendar. And if I'm going to say there's one thing besides ad sales that really drove Bleach Report is this idea of a content calendar. As every other group of media started writing about the draft in like January, 
Leash Report started writing about it in September because we found out that's when people actually started caring about it. That's when people actually wanted to start talking about the draft. Like your team loses the first two or three games and all of a sudden you're in draft mode. And Matt Miller, you know, before he was Matt Miller, started writing mock drafts in September. And they were huge. And the idea that sort of from a normal NFL perspective, everything sort of leads up to the Super Bowl is absolutely asinine. Uh, from a online content engaging perspective, the Super Bowl is maybe a 10th of what the draft is. The, the Super Bowl is more comparable to the Senior Bowl in terms of how people around the country engage with that content. It might be a huge broadcast event and, and God love them for it. But in terms of online, if that's what you're doing, yeah, people who aren't doing enough draft content just make me insane because for us, that was our Super Bowl. And you can do a mock draft every week from here until kingdom come and people will read it and people will want to read it. And there's ways to do it that are actually honest. There are ways to do it that are engaging. There are ways to do it that teach rather than just like farming for clicks. And I think at Bleach Report, that's where the sort of the shift was not just hey, crappy writers can't write anymore. But hey, we can take this thing. We can take a power rankings that doesn't matter. We can take a picks article that doesn't matter. And we'll find ways to do it that actually inform, that actually entertain, not just, you know, get it out there so people read it. There was a lot of that. There was just a lot of that. But at a high level, as we made that shift, it was, we can do it in a way that actually is good content. And I think, you know, if there's sort of a spiritual successor to Bleach Report in that format, it's at The Athletic, because The Athletic takes a lot of those same models that people say, oh, we don't need mock drafts or we don't need power rankings. No, you absolutely don't need them, but people like them. So find good ways to do them. It, it's funny because the full circle of, you know, I, I wrote for scout media back in the day and it's, you know, these guys had figured out how to monetize and it was entirely because of recruiting. That was the people will pay to have access to recruiting forums to go really deep, just like the draft. My team's terrible. How do I start thinking about a more optimistic future? And, and then to see, you know, I wonder with the athletic and, and kind of coming full circle of where you find those inefficiencies, but also just the, the shift of, you know, what you're describing that timeline, it was, it was going from Google as the lifeblood. And so click clickbait things were really important in that world. SEO was so important and page views to what you're describing perfectly sort of charted to, Hey, now these things need to spread through social. And suddenly there's a lot of new data coming in. How do we fill those gaps? And um, you know, I wonder just thinking about it of, do you see other gaps out there today of, of things in the NFL where there's the interest and the writing around it, the content around it may not totally be aligned right now. Yeah. I think first and foremost, there is some social inequity in terms of who's getting paychecks and who's not. Um, there was a, a huge shift, especially in NFL media, but I think it's actually worse uh, just from a bulk perspective in every other sport because the NFL still brings in money. Uh, you can't say the same about, you know, guys who are covering NASCAR, guys who are covering hockey. Sorry, I keep saying guys, people, people who cover, you know, baseball. It's a lot harder to even get a paycheck these days in those sports where just the interest isn't there the way it used to be. But overall, I, I am consistently shocked and I will name drop here. I will get a little salty. Rob Parker is still getting a paycheck somehow uh, after being like laughed off of ESPN laughed off local radio in Detroit uh, he wrote just two terrible articles for Deadspin which is trying to like I, I saw your I saw back. your I saw your tweet shade that you've been throwing this week at him and, and I at one point like he hadn't even fixed the factual error but he did block me after pointing out the factual error like God bless Rob it was the uh, QBR for, uh, yeah, yeah yeah 
it, it, only one guy had a QBR out over a hundred. Well, that's impossible if you understand QBR. And I get that maybe you just transposed two numbers, but when you then continue to write about it, showing that you don't understand the statistic, just print a correction, change it and print a correction. It took them like 24 hours and Deadspin is trying to like claw its way back and they've hired some good people. They have, Mike Freeman is writing for them now and I have a ton of respect for Mike Freeman. Um, Julie DeCaro is writing for them, ton of respect for Julie DeCaro. But then you let Rob Parker write this nonsense and he probably got paid like 500 bucks for that article because that's his going rate. So take that 500 bucks, throw it 20 different ways at guys who would kill and ladies who would kill for 25 bucks to write a freelance article for a place with a name like Deadspin, just to throw it on the resume. And I think some of that is you've had in Bleach Report sort of democratized sports content that anyone could write. Cream was going to rise to the top. You got a hoodie if you did it really well. Um, and there were some negatives to that too, because it taught people you don't have to pay to you don't have to get paid to write. But at the same time, there are tons of people not getting paid to write now and just trying to hustle, do it on their own, throw together a sub stack. And if you had some of these companies that are paying just subpar talent to continue to cover the sport, um, I, I think if you democratize it a little bit better, that'd be good. The other, the other big thing for me, and I've, you know, as I'm looking at working for a company that I get a lot of Bleacher Report vibes from, I think these companies that start need to first and foremost be tech companies. Um, and that's sort of the other story about Bleach Report. It was a Silicon Valley tech company. It was not a content company. Content was always something that it did, not who it was. It was a uh, tech company first and foremost. If you look at the olden days, how Bleach Report ran at slideshows before the days of like continuous scroll, um, that tech is exactly the same as how Facebook goes through pictures. Like if you click on a photo in Facebook and then are able to like use your keys to click left and right just continuously as it, it preloads that. It's not only kind of the same, it's not only reminiscent, it's the same tech. Like from what I remember, Facebook came, looked at exactly what Bleach Report did and said, hey, can we you know borrow that? And Bleach Report was like, yeah, if you pay us. Um, it was exactly the same because these two companies lived in the same world. And so now you have companies that you know, start as content companies, then really struggle with ad sales, struggle with tax, struggle with all the things that go around content that you need. And now Bleach Report started as a tech company with a really strong sales team that just figured out content along the way. And I think there's so many trails already blazed with content that we're not really doing anything new. Um, content can be something. I think, again, if there's a spiritual successor, the athletic feels more like a tech company at times than in, than a content company. They're very serious with their content. And I think they've, you know, realized they've made some missteps with the people that they've paid a lot of money to. I don't know if they're ever going to be profitable from that perspective, because they, they continue to dole out a lot of money to local people who probably are not driving clicks for them, but they'll figure it out. And, and I think at the end of the day, maybe they're never profitable, but they end up selling to someone like a Disney or an Apple or, or Google because... They got the eyeballs. They got the downloads. They, they, you know, enough people sign up for that $1 for six months or whatever it is that they've got, you know, even just the email list alone has to be crazy, crazy. <laughs> I was just joking with Kyle before you jumped on about that. Please, here, here's an ad. Please, just $1 a day can feed, can feed, <laughs> feed X amount of writers. Yeah. <laughs> um, with Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. Right, right. Uh, I, I want to I pivot back a little bit. You, met, you mentioned Deadspin. Uh, you mentioned kind of cream rising to the top. I, I feel like Deadspin in those early 2010s was the sort of anti-bleacher report, uh, you know, voice out there. Uh, 
about you, you talk about democratizing the web and, and giving writers an opportunity, but then you have these salacious clickbait uh, titles that would uh, you know draw criticism. Um, you know, as the shift was going, and as you mentioned, they they act seventy some writers, or they start really focusing 70%. on. Not so, it was like seventy percent. Uh, so, so they start focusing more on the quality. What, as these criticisms from the outside, and, and Kyle and I heard them from a different perspective than guys like yourself and and the Daves who have Finocchio and Nemitz uh, through our uh, through our our, our events. Um, how was that criticism perceived internally by Bleacher Report, and how much did say that external uh, criticism on quality uh, influence the the shifting of Bleacher Report? Um, so what's our rating on this podcast? Oh, good. We, we have, a, oh, we good. have an E. We have uh, an E. It. So, <laughs> um, we definitely heard it all. Um, and I think if anything was perceived internally at Bleach Report more negatively than the criticism itself was, you know, some of the overreaction response to the criticism. Because personally, I was salty as fuck every single time. Um, like... I still, when I hear someone like wrote for SB Nation, I'm like, you mother. Um, and no, not even during the Bleach Report days. Like we were not feuding that. I don't care. I don't care. You dared, uh, dared work for that that evil bastion of a company. Uh, and it, that's been for, it was the same way. Anytime we made a misstep, anytime they were just there. And it's like, they could literally go from, you know, how dare Bleach Report write this like hot wives and girlfriends article to here's Brett Favre's penis. And it was, it was like, guys like have some sort of like logical consistency. Like if you hate us for doing the clickbait stuff, you don't also get to do the clickbait stuff. And for me personally, it was always sort of drinking the Kool-Aid, knowing where Bleach Report wanted to go, knowing the super talented people running it, like just huge steps above me and really trusting in them to, to get things done. And the two moments where it was like, yep, we won was obviously the sale to Turner. Like all of us sort of looked around and was like, yep, where's uh Samer from Deadspin now? He's not uh not here. We're all partying in Vegas. And then the other one was when SB Nation really needed to refocus themselves. It was like six months ago. They hired two people from Bleach Report <laughs> to run their content ops. So it was like, okay, like very clearly we all saw a vision, worked really hard to make that vision happen. And the the missteps along the way, there, there were missteps. Anytime you, you put out that much content, there's going to be bad stuff. Like, uh, you know, I, I knew the guy who gave the Seattle Seahawks an F for drafting Russell Wilson. Um, you know, he was maybe the loudest voice in the room, but not the only one who criticized the pick. Um, it's just the one that stuck around on the internet the longest, the one that was seen the most. The other big thing was just the missteps from a content perspective. I don't, I don't even know if I'd call them missteps because it was not really having the... I guess I'll call it the, the equity, the, the, you know, social capital to do anything else. You know, you had to write wives and girlfriends content. You had to write, look at this, you know, hot athlete in bikini content at that time. I shouldn't say you had to, but you chose to because it was getting clicks. It was what people were wanting. And there's still plenty of websites that are doing that. And yet I see them whenever I scroll on Twitter, cause they're all promoted now. Um, I don't know who's clicking on them, but apparently Twitter thinks I want to see them. Um, but the content's still out there and 
from a bleach report perspective, it was always like, okay, it was like 80% of our business and then we're going to bring it down and it's going to be like 50% of our business. And then we're going to bring it down. And there's like 20% of our business. And now they're just gotten rid of it because they have the, the, you know, the social capital to do it. They've get, they're getting the clicks in other ways. They view themselves as more of an entertainment company than a content company and Google changed. Um, there's less people Googling and finding those articles than they, than they used to. And, and things that are written in a very, you know, hack eyed format are, aren't being you know risen to the surface you know truly i think google's i can't remember what the name it was but you know probably six years ago google made a big shift in their algorithm that said okay cream is truly rising to the top you can't game the system anymore it's it's really got to be good good content that gets shared on social um sort of bringing in the way that you know google you know farms how, how shareable how viral things are on, on social networks now even when they're rising stuff in their in their search algorithm um, that really changed the game. And Bleach Report said at that time, okay, we don't need all of this wrestling content now. We don't need all of this, you know, sexy lady content now. But at the same time, and this is always what we said, no one was turning down the free swimsuit issue from SI. And no one thought SI was less of a serious media company. They do now. But at the time, no one thought SI was less of a serious media, co- media company because they were still getting tons of subscriptions on here's a free sexy lady, not even a bikini painted on. Um, and for me, it was sort of the same thing. Yeah. It's uh it strikes me that on, on in certain ways, things have gotten better. In other ways, I think I just saw that Taboola may raise against billions of dollars in valuation. So, you know, there's still, like you said, it still finds its way into the feeds just in, in different forms. And um Looking at it, you know, you talked a bit about the kind of evolution of Bleacher Report and, and you know, obviously the, the acquisition. I mean, how do you look at it today when you see, I think for me, it's always striking knowing where Bleacher Report came from and tuning into a big NBA broadcast and seeing Bleacher Report kind of integrated front and center. How do you kind of look at, you know, where it's gotten to today and, and um, you know, thinking about the role that you played early on in getting there? Yeah. Um, and first of all, two things. Like, I just want to keep giving credit to people like, just high above me in the company who were way more integral to, to that level of success. I, I wrote some fine articles. I, you know, edited a ton of writers. I think one time I had like a hundred writers underneath me because my cohort quit at one at like middle NFL season. Like I did some good stuff there and I will take some credit. Um, so the first thing is I just want to keep pointing to like guys like Rory Brown, guys like Joe Yanarella, who's still there. Uh, Colin McCullough, who's a fantastic NFL editor. I think he's the best NFL editor in the biz and he's sort of managed to stay under the radar. Um, at some point, some company is going to realize he exists and snap him up from Bleacher Report because they're way too lucky to still have him. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is, you know, I wish I had a fucking stock option. <laughs> um, when I see what it's become now, I would love uh, to have uh, taken some monetary credit for that, but it, it's insane. Um, I mean, I remember the little things early on, like uh, Tina Sturdivant, who, and I'm going to keep name dropping because I want these guys to get some credit and the ladies to get some credit. Uh, Tina Sturdivant, who's now at Athletic in their HR world, she was sort of our... Um, talent relations person at one point at Bleach Report. And I remember she did these uh, trading cards and sent them around to all the different radio stations. It's like, here's Matt Miller. Here's Mike Shoddy. Here's Ty Shelter. Here's Matt Bowen. Um, you know, interview them. This is what they talk about. Inter- go interview them. Um, and, and it worked. A bunch of us got interviews and pe- people still will be like, I have your trading card. Like 10 years later, people, I have your trading card. Um, then, 
you know, little things like that, little things like I, you know, was on CNN a bunch and headline news. And like, I look at Quiz Cuomo and I'm like, that guy's interviewed me. Um, stuff like that was cool early on because it was so weird. Super Bowl week was just crazy back then because it was like, I would do 20 radio spots over the course of a day and always like finish it with like a CNN spot or a headline news spot. Or I was waking up in like the middle of the night to do armed forces radio or to do like Japanese Colombian, you know, TV hits versus now it's like, they're living on, you know, living on TNT. They're living on, you know, Matt Miller before he left was basically doing a draft. I mean, I honestly think if he was still there, they would do a draft episode that probably would be better than whatever's on TV. Cause last season it was close. And if they had the sort of rights for the NFL that they have for uh, NBA that they have for baseball, uh, they would have been able to put together NFL content as good, if not better with the, with the roster they had at one point as good, if not better than anything on TV today. So it was cool. It's getting cooler, but I also think there's some luster coming off of bleach report from that content perspective, because they take themselves way too seriously as an entertainment brand now. And so um, one of the things that, that's really come out in the last couple of weeks as as people have left some of their most talented NFL people have left because they are pushing all in on basketball because they are pushing all in at baseball. I don't know if I'm telling tales out of school, but they asked Matt Miller to, you know, cover the Royals halftime. And he was like, no, no, I, I go to Royals games, but I'm not covering the team. I'm a draft guy. And it goes back to, they have actually, and I don't, I don't mean to throw a ton of shade, uh, partially because there's probably some old like applications sitting in their inbox still that I, I put out there a couple months ago. But at one point they pushed all in on like super talented content. And I think there was this sweet spot where they were like the place to read good NFL stuff. And those guys have scattered to the winds now they're writing for fan sided. They're writing for five they're writing for, or starting their own sites. They're getting sub stacks. And at some point, unless you're going to start selling sneakers, um, you have to go back to being a content company because I think that's where they're at. I think they're a super good, like entertainment brand, but I've noticed less and less as I'm looking at the app, because I still use the app, uh, I'm reading other people's stuff. I'm not reading Bleach Report stuff anymore. The best stuff that I'm reading on the app is no longer Bleach Report stuff. And I think that's sad. Yeah, it's, it, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with the various guests here about, you know, a lot about how exactly what we're talking about here, how how to make money doing this and and both individually and, and as a business. And you kind of hit on Bleacher Report and this evolution into the commerce space. And, and we had Jamie Mottram on one of our first shows. And he's made that, you know, with breaking tees, it's almost a hybrid of like, hey, here's something you can wear that would kind of have been a meme and a, and a deadspin poster or whatever back in the day. Um, and then you've got this athletic substack moment where whether you're joining something that has the subscription model, different economics, you're going on your own and doing it. But looking at that, I mean, one of the things I struggle with is how many subscriptions can I manage? How many, you know, and so, uh, you know, I guess as you look at it from a writer perspective, you know, the, uh, the third kind of emerging way to make money is is the betting world, right? And that's where a lot of money is flooding into sports, you know, thinking about where you want to be, uh, you know, what do you see as the mix for you going forward in terms of, are you going to be writing for somebody who, or, you know, the, the payments are coming from a subscription model. The payments are coming from betting being more and more deeply integrated and in all of the dollars that can come with that. I mean, how, how do you see or want that evolution to play out? Yeah. If I could go back, there's probably 
other than the stock option comment, which I still, man, if I could, if I could change the world, um, if I could turn back time, um, the other thing would be to get back into sports betting in a more significant way. I've never had a problem with gambling. I love blackjack. I love poker. Um, but because sports betting was always sort of the third rail that you couldn't really talk about. Like, I remember the first time I was like, can I really put the, the, the line in an article? Can I really put the spread in an article? Uh, yeah, please do. Um, I'd always sort of stayed away from it because it wasn't what serious sports did. Um, and even fantasy, I worked at FanDuel. But before FanDuel had content ops, before sports betting was legal, I left Bleach Report to go to FanDuel. FanDuel came to me and a couple other people and said, look, we're going to take on ESPN. We're going to you know, put together, the, we've got all the money in the world. we got more money than Jesus. We're going to put together a content company that's going to go toe-to-toe with ESPN. And I worked with some amazing people there. Um, and I, I even vividly remember like how serious we had to be with like images and stuff like that because the NFL was gunning for us in a way that they weren't gunning for Bleach Report. They weren't gunning for SB Nation. Um, they were sort of letting those things happen because they were valuable partners, even if they sort of like, did some not best practices. Um I got to FanDuel and was like, no, if you put this image up, not only will the NFL sue you, uh, the player's agent will sue you, the player will sue you, the, you know, the guy who owns the Coca-Cola rights because there's a Coca-Cola bottle that you can't quite see in the top. I mean, I had David Boyes uh, explaining copyright law to me, which, you know, whew, like I had just been an editor. This was this was a whole different world of, of legal ramifications for what we were doing. And to the point where when I left FanDuel, it wasn't because... FanDuel couldn't do content. It was because FanDuel was getting their pantsuit off of them. And sports at the time, DFS was outlawed in the state of New York. And so when you had to pay boys some more money to, you know, fight that battle in the, you know, whatever the district of New York it was, um, content became less of a thing. And, and we all left and they sort of restarted their content after DFS became a little bit more socially appropriate or legally appropriate at least. And that's, that's where the money is right now. DFS and sports betting is absolutely where the money is. I think sports betting is probably right next to marijuana usage in the, over the next 20 years, we are going to look back and say, who thought this was wrong? At what point did our Puritan ancestors tell us sports betting was wrong? Because now we not only Brett Musburger, but every other guy is, you know, dropping allusions to betting at the end of the game. And eventually at some point we're just going to have, like, you'll get the, you know, refereeing consultant who calls in, you'll get the injury consultant who calls in, you know, hat tip to Stefania Bell, who should be on more broadcasts. And then you're going to have a betting consultant. You're going to get Joe Fortenbaugh, who's like one of my oldest friends in the business. And I remember sitting at the combine, like my second year at the combine, sitting with a bunch of guys from National Football Post, which is now an entirely betting site. But Joe Fortenbaugh, who's now on ESPN, um, we were sitting there betting on combine prop bets. And he was using me and the draft guy from, from National Football Post and a couple other guys too. Like, what do you, what do you think this guy's 40 time is going to be over or under? What do you think? How many bench press reps and, and just crushing it. We made like a ton of money that night because <laughs> we all knew the draft and we all knew how to bet. So um, there's just so much money and it, it will totally be a Ponzi scheme. At some point it will totally run out. There are going to be companies that push all in on sports betting and the bottom is going to fall out. It's going to dry up. Um, you're going to have, you know, people, Company, and they already are coming out of the woodwork to offer a ton of money and it's going to be, you know, smoke and mirrors. But at the end of the day, you're going to have, you know, the big players, 
you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM, uh, you know, some other big players sort of run the Bovada, run the world on this. And I think sports media companies should take the money when it, when it comes. You shouldn't you shouldn't be scared of it. Take it when it comes. Be prepared for when it dries up, but don't try to live your life in a, well, maybe it's going to run out five years from now sort of sort of mentality. It's going to get super, super big. And before it runs out, let's pay some writers and, and drive some good content and build our sites during the process. Yeah, we see we see those two industries just running parallel, to be honest with you, the marijuana and uh, and gambling. And it's it's almost like as states are falling, it's just dominoes falling, right? And if you're looking at stocks, it. start investing in those companies. Right. And, and, and it's like, yeah, okay, so New Jersey does it. Now New York has to do it. New York does it. Now Connecticut has to do it, right? So they're just, you know, regionally falling in line with that. A couple of things that you mentioned, and I want to bring it sort of forward to, to the Brawl Network and, and talk about sort of what experiences and lessons that you've learned at these past stops, be it Fandle or Bleacher Report and, and radio and everywhere in between uh, has led to here. So, so is it a, uh, a content company, a tech company, or, or is it a company that has more money than Jesus? Uh, what, what is the, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about the Brawl Network, because I don't think many of the listeners uh, certainly know much about it. Yeah, also, shout out to Jesus's investment fund. He's, uh, <laughs> he's got a SPAC and he's going to be making some, some big moves in 2021. Invested heavily in gold early on. That's, that's um, gold and, Frank, and Bitcoin. And that's, uh, that's Jesus' big bet. <laughs> Dogecoin. Yeah. Um, so first of all, definitely don't have more money than Jesus. Uh, I don't know if we have more money than any of the apostles either. Um, the we are lonely fishermen on the Sea of Galilee currently. But what we are is we're a really good content company that pushed all in with podcasting and uh, maybe parallel to when podcasting really started to be big. Um, we've got really good talent and they were a company that very early on realized that there are two ways to do things. You could either just go all in and get a ton of really good, or sorry, get a ton of content that's not really good. Or you can, you know, sort of put up those fences early and get really good content and grow from there. And it's a little bit of both. Um, You know, the company was started just a couple of years ago by a guy by the name of Mike Bresnahan. He had a Chicago Bears blog. And I would say about Mike Brez that he's one of those guys, like he could stand on Lake Michigan Avenue in Chicago and shoot a guy. And as long as it's within the city limits of Chicago, they'd all be like, eh, yeah, sure. It, that's just Brez. That's just Brez. Um, you know, he he will fully admit he is a... Brez a, being Brez. Yeah, Brez, just let Brez be Brez. Uh, you know, outside the city limits of Chicago, maybe less of a maybe less of a uh, popular fella, but he took the, the wild success because... And I think this is where it's at. Um, and I'll say this to any sports media company out there, and, you know, we struggle with it too. Community is where it's at. Having not just fans but advocates is 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 the game it doesn't matter what business you're in if you have advocates people who will advocate for your brand when when the lights turn off when the the stream is over when the article is done do you have people who are going to share it talk about it in the bars you know tell their friends about it email it around we're looking for it but i think you know in various pockets that's what we have we have a really rabid you know community around Bears brawl, and he sort of laid that out in other media markets. And so, when you look at just our Chicago market, we release a new T-shirt, people buy it. We tell people to sign up for DraftKings, they do. We tell people to buy Manscaped, and they've got the cleanest nuts in the Midwest. Um, but 
getting that to other cities has been really, really hard. And it's, it's what a lot of people struggle with, but we've done it in Philadelphia with Eagles brawl. We've got some really good talent there. Even I, I just love the fact that I work with the blue meanie, uh, formerly of WWF. That's the, wait, that's is he on your network? network? Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does like recap articles and picks or not articles, recap shows and pick shows for us every week. Like, it's just amazing. I have um, a, I would have not, I would have worn my BWO shirt that I have. Well, <laughs> get better, get better, Don. Um, but we have that in Cincinnati where our Bengals brawl, you know, has not only a group of really talented guys, Josh Cavalcante, um, West Coast Mark, but also the other show that brought, we brought in the network is co-hosted by Tony Pike, who used to be a quarterback for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And then uh, James Rape, you know, covers the team for SI. And so this this world where we're bringing in sort of professionals who, you know, want a different avenue Maybe they're already doing things at a high level, but we're bringing in and we've got like great stuff in Nashville with Titans. We've got great stuff in uh, we're building stuff in Pittsburgh. You know, we've got these like little pockets and that's what we're doing. And I'm really building out the content side of things, the draft side of things and, and also recruiting with my connections. And so I was brought in very early on to say, OK, we had sort of a Wild West mentality. We realized we need to start putting up fences. We need someone to tell us what we don't know. And I'm getting in on a ground floor that maybe when I crawled in on Bleach Report on like the fifth floor or the sixth floor, this is like, we're still in this building, a sub basement and we've got some really good content. Uh, we have no idea how to monetize it right now. We have no idea the tech side of things. If people are listening and want to come help us, we absolutely need, uh, cause that's not the world that I know, but what is, it's a lot of really passionate people living out their dream. And we're trying to find ways to, to make it worthwhile for them. And that's, you know, where companies like Manscaped, like DraftKings come in, uh, Code Brawl to get 20% off and free shipping on Manscaped. I'm just gonna throw that in there. Um, we had those, those CGS athletes uh, really, really did us some, some good work with the Manscaped promos. They, they love that stuff. So it's, it's trying to figure out those ways, those, those hidden pockets, those, those roads less not, or roads not taken, to monetize content, which is what we're all trying to figure out now. And that's what Brawl Network is hopefully uh, going to do really well. Because at the end of the day, if you just out hustle people, you can grab a foothold. And once you get a foothold and get those advocates, because you do good content, uh, you usually find your way in this industry. It uh, it strikes me, Don, that had we had Manscaped been here a few years earlier, the Blogs with Balls brand would have would have been oh, stronger. Yeah, you know, like we really would have had a built-in sponsor for everything. Mike, you, know? you got to put a word in for us here too. We'll, we'll do, we'll do a little rev share with uh, Brawl. That's been too. You get enough pictures of penises, <laughs> you just you roll that right into a sponsorship. Still here. a little salty, aren't you? After all I, these years, yeah, just just a little bit. So I, what, been, I, I still think I might have been like off to the side in the one of Vishante Shanko because I was covering the Vikings at a time. I might I might have been like off to the side in that picture. But he, nah. he did a he did a draft party with us, and uh, he was pretty funny about that. We, somebody asked him. We it was when we were at um, Google headquarters. Uh, he did the after party, and I believe it was somebody from Bleacher and then one of the Reddit football uh, subreddit moderators was was interviewing with him. And uh, he made a joke about how how many dates he got after uh, after that went viral. So he wasn't and think of how much better it could have been with Manscaped. <laughs> nice. Um, so where what is the ultimate goal? Is it a sort of a, a, a sell off, uh, you know, to a Turner? Is it uh, building its own empire like a barstool? Where do you see this? going or where is what is the goal for uh, for brawl network well so 
I think our, our probably closest brother, and this is lofty, this is, this is setting, you know, a, not only a connection, but sort of an aspiration. Like we're probably closest to Barstool without the misogyny. Um, we are definitely a acquired taste. Our, our, we're very unfiltered. You know, there's a lot of our shows that do go, you know, over an hour long because it's just guys sitting around and I will, you know, it's not, it's not guys and girls. We're a very male heavy uh, talent base right now. And we're trying to change that, but it is a lot of our podcasts are just dudes sitting around uh, BSing around sports about like the way that you used to do pre COVID at the bar. And there's some uh, positives and negatives to that. Like there are, I think there's a real dearth in the market right now for like super tight, informative podcasts, guys that, you know, will just, guys and girls will just lay it out and say, here's what you need on your 20 minute drive to work. And that's what we're aspiring to do with the Brawl 22. But at the same time, there's some love and actually I think you get better advocacy when it feels like home, when it feels like just a bunch of people sitting around the mic and maybe I'm not on the mic, but I'm listening to these people around the mic and they're all saying the sort of things they're having the, the, conversations about whether or not Joe Flacco's a lead or, you know, whether or not Cam Newton really loves football the same way I want to, the same way I used to in the Facebook comment sections, the same way I used to on Twitter um, and just podcasts is the new medium for that. So the same way you did at blogs and balls events. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the aspiration there is, is just to, to take out, uh, take up the, uh, barstool network like that that's sort of our goal like to to come with a more team focused uh less of a they're very top heavy from a you know talent perspective we're coming from a bottom focus perspective in much the same way bleach report and sb nation did cover the teams that that often don't get covered you know we have better cincinnati Bengals coverage than any national media company period I'll, I'll throw that out there because no one else is covering the Bengals. They, they might cover Joe Burrow, but no one else is talking about, you know, the backup cornerback as he comes back from an injury. We've got him on our podcast. Um, stuff like that, I think, is what fans of local teams really care about. And to be able to monetize that is sort of the next world because Athletic hasn't figured that out yet. Athletic hasn't figured out how, the, you know, they'll pay forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for someone to come over from a failing newspaper to cover, you know, Team X. Uh, they don't know how to pay that guy yet in a way that that makes them money. So if we can figure that out, and maybe it's not throwing fifty thousand dollars a guy, I hope it is one day. I absolutely want it to be that. I want to throw that at me. Um, but until we get there, uh, we're gonna keep hustling and try to go from that bottom up perspective and say if we can convince fans, and this is really the other spiritual successor. Do you remember forums? Do you remember hopping on and talking about the Eagles on a forum? And it was like just the most rabid fan base. And it was just the, the worst content because you'd have people like convinced that, you know, Donovan McNabb was better than Joe Montana and, and Tom Brady sucks and all that stuff. Because <laughs> No, if it was Phil, it was probably like Coy Detmer is better than Donovan McNabb because well, they were probably that. frustrated at that point. Yeah. yeah. And the the world that existed there is really what community is all about. And if you don't have community, and this is where like even ESPN is struggling because how many times has ESPN sort of tried to create this, oh, you're an insider. If you just pay a little bit more, you're going to be an insider. Um, and people stop caring about it. Or, you know, there were forums at ESPN back in the day. There were comment sections that they've had to get rid of because of just rampant racism. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like if you don't have community, if you don't have people bought in that I'm not just a fan of ESPN, but I'm a part of ESPN. Now, 
again, talking about more money than Jesus, uh, they've got Mickey Mouse, so they don't need to worry about running out of money. But all of these other sites out there, you have to feel like you're in. And I think at the Brawl Network, what we're building, we've got a lot of people in various pockets. It's not enough yet, but various pockets where you feel in. And honestly, let's let's throw back to balls, blogs with brawls. Uh, blogs with balls, not brawls. Uh, that also would have been a great connection back in the day. Um, the ability to say, I'm part of the in crowd. And that's, I'm so happy to be here because I finally, after years, feel like I'm at the cool kids table. Um, you know, it was, it was so many years on the outside looking in. And, and now that I'm on your podcast, I finally feel. Well, you kicked the door in too at Blogs of Balls because we had opened it up for uh, people to nominate what they wanted to host or what they wanted to talk about. And you were one of the ones that said, here, I have a panel idea. Here are the people that I want on that panel. And here's what I want to do. And, Frankly, that's, you know, that's you like just oh, kick, kicking that door. In. I, I want to be at the cool kids table. <laughs> I, right I, I remember writing that email and first of all, your response ended up like in my junk mail. Cause I think I was still using Yahoo at the time or something. And the, I wrote that email with like, maybe I can convince them it's me that, that should moderate this. But I totally like threw 10 other names at you guys. Cause I didn't think it would be me. Um, but yeah, that, there was a huge and I keep using the word democratization uh, of sports content. And it was basically Twitter at the time uh, for all of the, just the evil that Twitter is now and the hellscape of content that it is. Um, there was a time, and I, I just said this on a podcast yesterday. I remember the day where like I wrote something and I had like Schefter and King in my DMS and it was like, you know, just them saying good article, or I think one of them like corrected me on something. I was like, thank you so much. How do you know who the hell I am? Um, I've just been thought I was like, you know, tweeting into the void when I mentioned you. Um, but there was this democratization that I don't think exists anymore. And places like blogs with walls need to exist. You guys need to like find a way to bring this back in more than just a podcast format because you have this huge group. And I think there is, maybe it's because I left and came back and the world is so much different than, than, you know, five years ago when I was doing it full bore, but it feels like there are just so many young people looking for mentors, looking for, uh, you know, Sherpas in the wilderness. And there aren't a lot of them. And I think you get these 50, 60 year old sports guys and gals who, you know, might have the, the qualities to mentor, but they're still struggling to find their way too. Cause they're still looking for like a living wage at some of these times. And again, it might just be COVID, but I feel like there's a real lack in connection and there's a huge group of guys like me 20, 15 years ago that can do good content, have a good scouting. eye, have a good way of looking at fantasy sports, have maybe the best, you know, betting tout ability in the world. Um, but they're stuck either writing on their own blog, uh, you know, arguing with others on Twitter, you know, not really finding their way in the wilderness because there's, it, it may, again, maybe it's just COVID, but I feel like there's less of it than there used to be. Um, back when I started, there was a real connection both with, you know, things like blogs with brawl balls. There was, uh, you'll get it right once. Yeah, I did it where I want. <laughs> um, the, uh, Pro Football Writers of America was bigger back then. The Society of Professional Journalists was bigger back then, at least from my perspective. There was just more of a connection to, okay, you got talent, now you do things the right way. And I think it's I think that's missing these days because things are so fractured, because there's less places where you can sort of get tapped in, get mentors, get editors. Even just the companies are more fractured than they used to be. And, you know, I'm not going to call people out, but 
you, you might have great content on your Substack, but if you don't get a mentor in this business, if you don't get people to, to yell at you when you're doing things the wrong way, uh, I'll, I mentioned his name earlier, Joe Yanarella, uh, who is huge at Bleach Report, and he's always sort of stayed away from the spotlight. Um, he actually came over to Bleach Report from Wizard Magazine, which like was my favorite thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I kept trying to talk to him about comics in the early days and found out he worked at wizard, but hated comics, um, hated trading cards, hated the whole world. And I talked to Joe every once in a while and we're probably not as close as I wish we were. Um, cause I never worked next to Joe, never worked there, but Joe yelled at me a lot and I needed it. Like when I was getting salty with SB nation, Joe would be the first one to be like, shoddy, you're not the spokesman for the company. Shut the hell up. Uh, stay off of Twitter for a day. Um, okay, I will. And I'll feel really bad about it. And I'll get all bent up in my feels about it and hate Joe for a day. But then I'll realize, okay, you're right. Like I have more productive ways to spend my time. I could have spent all that time writing an article. That's the other thing. Like if, if suddenly I'm looked at as a mentor and that's what was really weird about senior bowl is that people were coming up to me like, Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're back. I used to read your stuff back in high school. And, ah, man, like I remember being the kid and now I'm starting to gray. This is definitely receding from where it used to be the last time I was going to senior bowls. Um, But now people are looking at me as a a mentor. And I will say this, the amount of time that sports journalists spend on social media needs, just needs to decrease, period. Um, If you have five tweets about something, that's an article. Write the, write, write the goddamn article. Um, you know, stop tweeting for like two minutes. And when you do use any of these, whether it's, you know, your podcasting platform or, you know, whatever medium you use to publish or social media, do so in constructive ways. Because I, sp- I wasted way too much time sniping at people. And even like the Rob Parker stuff from yesterday, and I will, I will drag him to the day I die. But, um, you know, what, what did it accomplish? It didn't accomplish anything. I just, there's a time and a place to show, hey, this is not how it's supposed to be done. But then there's also a time to just move on and say, you know, maybe I don't spend my entire day doing that. Maybe I don't just spend my entire day trying to convince people I'm smarter than, than the next person. I love it. We usually try to tee people up on some of their thoughts and opinions and even moving forward what we can do. And you just laid it out perfectly for us. So I think this might be a good way to wrap. But before we do, I want to give you a chance to redeem yourself because you are throwing a lot of shade and, and you know, dragging people here. So I'm going to I'm going to throw four things at you and I don't, I don't need you to get in depth, but I want you to tell a positive thing about these things that I throw throw at you. All right. OK, so let's start with old dead spin. Old Deadspin wrote some of the best content ever on the internet. They did some of the best deep dives, some of the best investigative reporting. Um, They had, and I'll say this, and I'm going to feel bad the rest of the day for saying this. They had way more redeemable qualities than Bleach Report did at the time. Way more. Just infinitesimally more. Um, But they were dicks about it. So... (laughs) But, but tons of positives. They, they did amazing content. I, and I honestly, and I'm, the writer's name is escaping me, but they did like a food, they had like a food guy. They had was like it Bernerko? Was it Albert maybe? Was it? I, that might, that might be. Might have been. Yeah. Um, but I still, to this day, there was like a, a line in an article about making Reuben sandwiches where he <laughs> said like the goal of Russian dressing is that you should like fear for your own mortality. And I read that line and I like still to this day, crack up randomly thinking about it. They had some of the best writing on the internet. I wish, 
Like, I know that, you know, the defector exists and I hope it succeeds and I'll read it through, you know, my internet private browser because I don't want anyone to know I'm a fan. But they had, they had some of the best stuff. Just don't be dicks about it. That's all, right. all uh, SB Nation. Ah, man. If you're looking for community, they figured out community way earlier than anyone else. And I think their misstep was trying to go too hop, top heavy. Like they tried to realize they were losing ground, realize they were losing. And they, they tried to go top heavy. They did a lot with SB Nation, with the Vox brand versus just build those communities. You had so many rabid fans and you started losing them, I think, because you sort of went to a top heavy. But they figured out community way before the rest of us because they started as separate blogs that they then you know tied together almost artificially and then started building those connections. And man, I, the next company that figures out community they did in their early days is going to win. That would be the winner of the internet. So I was going to go with Barstool, but I think you, you told some of their positive qualities earlier. So let's let's end it with this, Mike. I'm going to give you give you a chance here. Give me one positive thing about Rob Parker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Trump. I had something for Trump. Um, we could do that, but let's let's really go with Rob Parker. No, um, we don't need to get political. We can talk about that in another episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> says it all hmm, i got nothing <laughs> this is where it's at uh there is a level of just hot takery that is successful in business and i'll say this he's, he's a solid self-promoter the fact that he keeps getting jobs is not an accident it's not um because people aren't reading or reacting to his stuff there is a level of being a self-promoter the you know fox sports the reason jason whitlock has a job the the reason you know Skip Bayless still has a job. Rob Parker is just underneath that top tier in ability to self-promote, get hate clicks, you know, throw out an opinion that I don't know if he really believes himself. There's, there's some talent in that and he's really good at it. He's going to make way more money in sports media than I ever will. Um, because he doesn't have a soul. Um, <laughs> well, well, that's not there, it, but, but it's talent. Like if I was, if I was his boss, I would be like, if I'm the main editor at Deadspin, whoever it is, I'm fine that he wrote those articles because those are going to be like the best trafficked articles probably of the month. They just, I mean, what if Matthew Stafford was black? Come on, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> like, but people read it, people clicked on it, and people immediately regretted it. Um, but it, but for, for a short-term fix, it works. And the fact that he keeps getting chances to do it, more power to him. God love him for it. bless his heart as we say in the south bless his heart well i i think i can't think of a better way to end it i every episode kyle we say we could keep going for another half hour hour but uh we are coming up on a on an hour right now uh mike thank you very much for your time today and your insight and hopefully we'll keep this conversation going kyle and i are trying to figure out different ways to do so and i really like the mentor idea that's something that we've we talked about in various capacities is figure out a way to bring it to life. And the other thing that we joked about on the first episode is how relevant we still are. So it's nice to hear that there there's some inkling of relevancy still to us, right, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and a potential sponsorship waiting in the wings. We can, we can get our act together. <laughs> let me, let me say this before we drop, because like I, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I do feel like I'm a super nice guy. Um, and Don just brings out the worst of me sometimes because he knows <laughs> I can get snarky in a heartbeat. Um, but Don has been a really good mentor to me. We, we didn't oh, bring it up you. at all. My time away from sports, 
Um, Don always maintained connections, um, probably was my last lifeline a lot of times, and ran a campaign for me, for heaven's sakes. Um, it didn't go well um, for, for <laughs> non-Don-related reasons. But um, so thanks to you guys. I mean, Don has been a mentor in this business. And I promise, like, if you follow me on social media, at Shadi, um, I'm not always this snarky. I, I promise. And I get this, uh, I think I have this, you know, or about me in sports media that you bring Shadi on to talk smack about someone. And I absolutely will. I, I, I wasn't trying to go that way, but sometimes it just kind of comes but out. It does, so. But it does happen. So I, <laughs> I promise to be more nice, warm and fuzzy uh, the next time you bring me on. Awesome. Well, Mike, Kyle, thank you very much. Everyone enjoy the big game until next week. I'm Don. That's Kyle. That was Mike Shadi. And we'll see you next week on the OGs. Thanks, everybody.